Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and I'm joined by Terry Fakes for week six of our Revelation questions. We're almost to the halfway point of the book. We're not halfway through the series yet, but we have really gotten into the teeth of these visions. That's right, Cole. This week, we covered chapters eight through 10. If you remember, we came off the seven seals being opened and the judgments of God inflicted on the earth. And then in chapters eight through 10, we see the seven trumpets. And just to remind you, the trumpets blown and we get hail and fire mixed with blood falling onto the earth and a mountain crashing into the sea. We have a star coming down and opening up the abyss and demons or something come out of the abyss and start wreaking havoc on the earth. We have a huge number of people dying in either wars or or these uh, cataclysmic events and so much suffering that people wish that they could die. So these seven trumpets, you see serious judgment of God and just uh, really awful events happening. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty brutal suffering in these chapters, and uh, we get introduced to some things that'll be very important later in the book as well. Uh, we've got a couple of good questions in this section, uh, even though we've got a similar theme as the lesson before. It's expressed differently, and the first question really picks up on that. This person asks, what's the significance of the one third in these judgments? That's one of those pieces that you didn't see in the Previous section, you see it in the trumpets. What's with the third uh, being repeated over and over again? That's a really good question. Once in the seals, when you see the fourth seal and the pale rider, the death comes. He says he's given the power to, to bring death to one fourth of the earth. But then when you get into the trumpets several times, you'll see a third of the people died and a third of the seas turned to blood and a third of all the ships were sunk. And you do see this idea of one third and commentators are going to have different opinions, but really the probably the best it comes down to is the idea that this is a partial destruction you know, a fourth or a third, you kind of see it progressively. If you're a futurist, you're definitely going to see the seven seals. Then you believe the seven trumpets happen. And then you believe the seven bowls happen. And so as a futurist, when you see them progressing sequentially, not everyone sees it this way, but as you see them progressing sequentially, you actually see a sense of intensity increasing. So it's a partial, but it's also an increasing in intensity. And I'd say that's probably the basic idea there. In chapters eight and nine, you get the trumpets. And then in chapter 10, you have a new vision. Uh, the heading is the angel and the little scroll here in the ESV. And the question is, who is this mighty angel in chapter 10? And what is the significance of having one foot in the water and one foot on the land? Again, a great question. This is a mighty angel, and there are basically two camps in this. Again, there's typical disagreement. One camp, a lot of futurist commentators, and Cole, for your information, I know we both uh, like Beale, who wrote the New International Greek Testament commentary 
on Revelation. He also shares this view that some of the futures do, that this angel, even though he's called an angel, is Christ, that this is Jesus coming down and putting his uh, foot on the land and on the water and ushering, you know, uttering this huge, powerful voice of judgment. So some think that this is Christ himself, because this angel is described differently than some of the others. But then again, as you might expect, because this is called an angel, and it's a mighty and it's a powerful angel, that it is one of the great angels that serve God. And so that this is, it is an angel, it's not Jesus, but it is a powerful angel that God's given a great deal of power to. So as far as who the angel is, those are the two ideas. Some think Christ, others think powerful angel. But the question is really interesting about why one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. I'll say this, later we are going to see a symbolic significance to land and sea. And I'll just tip you off now that in what we're going to see, and this is true in a lot of apocalyptic literature, not just Revelation, that the sea represents the temporal political world. The idea of the sea being the Gentiles in the Old Testament, uh, you know, there's a symbol of the Gentile nations. And so the sea would be the political temporal world and the land would be the spiritual world, whether that's the church or the people of God. And so one way you could look at this is this angel has authority to pronounce judgment over the religious and the political institutions. But maybe a simpler way, and here I would simply say that one foot on the land and sea would say all of the earth, all of the universe. You know, there's nothing excluded from this. And so the judgments uttered by this angel are absolute judgments of God over all of creation. Personally, I think that's probably a little more likely. When we get later, I think it'll become very clear, though, that the symbol of political and spiritual is going to come into play. Not so sure that that's the idea here. But mm -hmm. clearly, this is a powerful angel uttering God's pronouncements of judgment over all of creation. That makes sense, too, with uh, the description in verse 5. The angel who's standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, like he's being sworn in. You know, we get our uh, right. swearing in from ancient customs like this. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be more no more delay. So th this is really a comprehensive oath that right. this angel is taking. And I think the feet also encompass that. It's th This is a totality of the created order that's being expressed here. Uh, as to who the angel is, that's a very interesting question, as you said. It's uh, similar to the description we see of Christ in the beginning, in the opening of Revelation, but why then is he called a mighty angel? Very, you know, very cryptic. And as a matter of fact, that what you just quoted, so Beale thinks this is Christ because of a number of things that are said here, and so do uh, many of the futurist commentators. But John MacArthur, who is a futurist, John MacArthur, though, because the angel raises his hand and swears by God, claims, well, Christ wouldn't do that. Christ is God. So he's a futurist who thinks, no, this is an angel. So you kind of get an idea as to how closely everyone parses these kinds of things. Now, I, I don't want to be the guy arguing with John MacArthur, and maybe we'll have to bring him on the podcast at some point to defend himself here. 
But there's a significant <laughs> portion of the book of Hebrews that's based on the fact that God, when he swears, can swear by nothing greater. So he swears by himself, himself. which would be a nice right. argument here for Christ uh, swearing by the Father. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there. If John wants to come and defend himself on the podcast, he can. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a very interesting thing to try to parse out in this chapter. And it, it leads to our next question. This is a question I submitted because I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and snuck into our list. When you get to the end of chapter 10, <clears throat> John is told something interesting. He takes a little scroll from the hand of the angel and he eats it. This is similar to some of the Old Testament prophets who eat the scroll. They eat the book and it becomes part of them. And it's, of course, symbolic of what God's right. word does, but it's also uh, kind of a part of the craft and the trade of being a prophet that something like this happens. And it happens to John, and he becomes now a prophet. And it says, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And then in chapter 11, you're going to get a new vision. He's giving a measuring staff or a rod uh, to, to measure the temple of God and the altar. Of course, that is like the end of the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel's shown around and the temple is measured in excruciating detail. My question right. is, given how this transition happens and the wording, the new scroll, prophesying again, do you think that the book of Revelation almost starts over in chapter 11 or especially in chapter 12 uh, when we get the next vision? So this is previewing a little bit the next chapter, but the way chapter 10 ends, should we take this as a clean break, new scroll, new prophecy, new prophet in some ways? John is now, after he's seen what he's seen, is going to say something new and different? Or is this a continuation of what's been happening up to this point in the book? Uh, that is a really deep question, and uh, I'm anxious to get your thoughts as well. But let me let me give you a couple points of view, and then I'll I'll give you an opinion. One, remember in class we talked about how the futurist view, which holds these things happening in the seven year period in the future, is very sequential. Meaning, you have seven seals, you have seven trumpets, you have the eleven and chapter eleven and twelve happening, and then you have seven bowls of wrath, and then you have Armageddon, and then you have the great judgment. I mean, literally chapter after chapter, sequential. Of course, historicists look at this as sequential through history, but the symbolic view doesn't necessarily see this as sequential. And I talked about the idea of progressive parallelism, which I know you're very familiar with, but the idea that the book of Revelation doesn't necessarily have to be sequential. The fact that you have seven, the judgment of God, seven seals, seven is the totality of the judgment of God. And then you repeat it with the seven totality of judgment of God with the uh, trumpets. And then you tell the story for a third time, the seven totality of God's judgment with the bowls. You've got judgment, 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 you know, the emphasis that maybe this book doesn't have to be read as one event sequentially happening after another. So those are two rough different ways to look at the sequence. And to me, your question is very interesting in this point. And that is, you have what looks like the end of the world has happened at the end of each of these sets of seven. And now you see at the end here with the uh, sixth trumpet, God saying, okay, I've got things that you need to start prophesying. 
So does the book start over? Pretty astute question, because you can read chapter 11. I'll just go ahead and give you a, a spoiler alert. Chapter 11 can be read as a flashback of talking about the whole church through the whole church age. And chapter 12 can easily be read and probably most likely should be read as Satan trying to stop Jesus from ever being born. And then we're going to go into... Uh, the Antichrist and the, then the seven bowls, you could make a really good argument, Cole, that we are going to start this thing over, so to speak. We're going to tell this story again. So great question. What are, what are your thoughts along those lines? What do you think? Is this a restart, if you will, of the story? Well, you say you can make a good argument for for that, and I would certainly be inclined to make that argument. As if you've listened to our three revelation overview uh Podcast. I, I certainly am persuaded of the progressive parallelism reading of Revelation. I think the best way to describe it is if you have a number line, you know, a timeline of, of all of time, and one is Genesis and 10 is new heavens, new earth, forever, eternity, everything is done. I think what you have is you have visions that are repeated, but are focused on different slices of time. And over the course right. of the book of Revelation, they get closer and closer to the end. So the opening one, you have Jesus appearing. I think you can argue that the vision there is supposed to remind us of the Garden of Eden. So you have, you know, you're pretty much back at one or one and a half of on the timeline. And then, right. of course, the visions of the churches maybe only get to six, maybe only get to the early church, you know, and then describing right. the church age, depending on when you think that is. Well, then you get the seals and the, and the vision of heaven. And that one maybe starts a little bit later, but it certainly goes mm -hmm. later because you get almost to the end of the world. So maybe now we've got two through eight or eight and a half. And then, of course, you know, the trumpets and, uh, of course, the bowls and all of that and the judgment. So you get these snapshots and they're from different spans of time, but they're retelling the same thing. This is a very common way to write in ancient literature of taking the same thing from right. a few different angles. And now you have a full fledged stereo sound description of one mm -hmm. thing, which is the history of the entire world. But it is that one thing that's being described over and over again. The difficulty here is, to me, it, it does seem like this is one of those scenes in the seven tellings where we start over. And I think there is a fundamental right. change in John. He goes from seeing something and writing it down to now eating the scroll. It becomes part of him. And he right. is prophesying again about the things that are taking place. He's internalized what God has shown him. Chapter 12, it, it almost... To me, it's hard for me to square some of the readings that think that 12 is sequential with the other parts right. of the book. In fact, I did a study a couple of years ago, and I looked at I know, 10 or 12 commentators on how they outlined the book of Revelation. And I was not looking at a ton of dispensationalist futurists, but I think I have MacArthur in there and maybe one other, Walvoord or somebody like that. What's interesting is almost everybody, regardless of what your view is, whatever they think the outline of Revelation is, they have trouble fitting 11, 12, and 13, especially 12 and 13, right. into their view. In fact, some yeah. of them just say it's an interlude. <laughs> it's some kind of sidebar yes. 
that they can't figure out where what it goes with. And that's one of the reasons I'm I'm compelled to think this is the this is another telling of a slightly different aspect of the history of the church, the history of Christ, the history of God's people. Chapter 11 being the two witnesses, which people think are these Elijah and Elisha. Is this Israel and the church? Who is this? Certainly has that sweeping feel to it. But then you have the seventh trumpet. That's that's the argument against that view is then all of a sudden right. we're back into the trumpets. But chapter 12, especially, I just don't know how you don't think this is talking about the birth of Christ, the creation of God's people, the birth of Christ, the fall of Satan. It's hard for me to see that. And if that's the case, we have just rewinded all the way back, not just to when Christ was born, but to the creation, to when we think the fall of Satan takes place, which we've talked about a lot of times on this podcast, may not be that primordial rebellion of the angels and their cast down. It may be a lot more associated with either creation in the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, or some people read this as a true fall in the sense of it means defeat at the resurrection of Christ and Satan has been struck down through the resurrection. So either way, this really rewinds the clock back to tell the story again, it seems like, which is one of the reasons I'm persuaded that's exactly what the author is doing. Yeah, this is, I agree in, in the sense that it's, it's really easy once you start thinking about it to realize the book of Revelation might even be deeper than we thought. Maybe it's deeper than sequential, not less true, but it, it goes beyond just a sequential telling. But if you hold to a sequential telling, a futurist view of this, you almost have to look at 12, probably 11 through 13 as flashbacks. I'll give you a great example of how they might look at it, uh, how you might look at it if you had this view is, I was watching a movie the other day, and you probably I know you've seen movies like this, but it starts with a character and some action, and the character gets arrested and goes to jail. And so they get in the interrogation room, and then all of a sudden on the screen, it says 10 years earlier. And mm-hmm. the movie holds right there and it goes back and it kind of tells you how this character got there to that. And then the movie picks up. So if you're a futurist, you're almost going to have to say we were sequential all the way to chapter 11. And then we, we had a little sign that came up and said flashback and we're going to go back in time and then maybe we'll come back to the movie. So that might be a way of thinking about it. If you hold to the this truly sequential view is that, you know, maybe some parts of this are indeed flashbacks to tell you how you got there. I think mm-hmm. you almost be forced into that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to make that case. And of course, people make all kinds of different arguments on this part. But you're reading along and and you're getting a sense of the sweep of the story and the flow of Revelation. This part comes as a little bit of a deviation and uh, commentators have struggled to figure out what exactly to do with this section. And that's why you see so many different um, takes on it. Well, going one step further, because I know that you're familiar with this and very, uh, I think you're sympathetic to this view, is that you could actually look at the book of Revelation as true. It really happened. Uh, John really got these visions. All these things really are going to happen, etc. But that the book of Revelation is actually structured like a 
maybe like a play that has seven acts in it and that you're telling this story, you've alluded to this seven different times and that while the book of Revelation is true, maybe it's so beautifully put together that it's like a play in seven acts. And uh, do I remember right that Lightheart is one of the uh, commentators that has more of maybe what you'd call a literary structure to the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So going even further away from the sequential view, you might see Revelation as a beautifully written uh, play in seven acts. Yes. And people differ about where those acts start and stop and how they overlap, what they're referring to. But it's a pretty common way in the history of the church to read Revelation. Right. And again, it, it's not saying Revelation is less true. If anything, it's saying Revelation is even more beautifully complex than we had thought that it was. Right. So quite a diversity of opinion. But back to your original question, you could see the end of chapter 10 as kind of a restart button that that you're, you're seeing something different from this point on. Mm hmm. Well, that wraps up our questions for this week. Next week is Ash Wednesday, and we will not have a Wednesday lesson. If we're getting more questions uh, or some that maybe don't fit quite so easily into the lessons, maybe we'll come back a week from today with another podcast, just regrouping on some of those questions that we may have missed that have come in late, uh, or if there's more to ask about chapters eight through 10, uh, we'll answer those as well. But uh, keep sending in questions, and in two weeks or a week and a half, you'll have another lesson, and then uh, you'll see us on Fridays, continue to answer your questions here on the Revelation Answers installment of the So We Speak podcast. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.